This episode was previously released, but we think you'll enjoy listening again or hearing it for the first time. We will be back in September with all new episodes with some new guests and some of our friends from past episodes will be back to talk to us again. We are so grateful for all of the amazing people who have joined us on the show in the past two years. The conversations have been educational, insightful, vulnerable, and heartwarming. We appreciate each and every one of them for agreeing to share their time and their voice with us and with you. As always, we would appreciate it if you would follow, rate, and review the podcast so more people can find us. Even better, share your favorite episode with a friend. If you're a fan of the podcast, please become a patron through Patreon. You'll be able to view our weekly updates on video, have early access to episodes, and who knows what other fun benefits we might add for our patrons in the future. Listener support means that we can continue to make this show. If you have a business or know of a business who would like to advertise on the show, please get in touch. While Barnyard Language continues to be a labor of love, we would love to have the funds to cover our costs and expand the community. Welcome to Barnyard Language. We are Katie and Arlene, an Iowa sheep farmer and an Ontario dairy farmer with six kids, two husbands, and a whole lot of chaos between us. So kick off your boots, reheat your coffee, and join us for some Barnyard Language. Honest talk about running farms and raising families. In case your kids haven't already learned all the swears from being in the barn, it might be a good idea to put on some headphones or turn down the volume. My name is Arlene, and I'm the Canadian voice in the podcast. And I want to start off by asking Katie why she wanted to start a podcast in the first place. Hey, this is Kate, the Iowa half of Barnyard Language. Honestly, parenting small children has, especially in a rural area, has been one of the hardest, loneliest things I've ever done. And when you're also running a business and you're self-employed and you're working with your family and all the struggles that that can bring about, I knew that connecting with other parents and especially other farm families was really going to be important to me. And it's just by the nature of what farming with little kids means I knew that you know an an in-person group was not going to be very feasible and as many you know online groups as I had joined there's still nothing like actually getting to hear someone's voice and actually getting to feel like you're having that conversation with someone and especially having in-depth discussions with other folks and so when the Women's Food and Ag Network approached me about asking if I wanted the support of their mentorship program, I knew immediately that what I wanted to do was to launch a podcast to reach the diverse groups of folks that are working on running farms and raising families and balancing what that means. The Women's Food and Ag Network is a group that really supports encouraging women as producers. I had worked with them before, both having a mentor for our own meat business and as a mentor helping other women who were starting out, um, both of them in raising sheep for meat for sale as well. And I had had been asking for more mentorship programming for producers who've been at it longer. There's a lot of programming all over the place for folks who are just starting out, but not much at all for folks who are already in business, but are looking to change or expand, especially beyond just marketing, you know, there's a lot of social media help, which is fantastic, but there's not a lot of assistance for lining up other things. And since I had been one of the people, you know, asking for this, when they 
told me they had started this program and asked if I wanted to participate. I figured I should probably say yes. It, you know, it seemed rude to, to turn them down at that point because I know that nobody wants to listen to me talk to myself for an hour. Certainly, I started thinking of all the different folks that I know who might be a good choice for co-hosting. And Arlene and I had actually met through an online parenting group and had hit it off quite well. And we've only, you know, gotten to hang out in person once because she's Canadian and I am not. It's not just like our nationalities. Geography is a bit of a barrier too. Yes. Yes. I mean, if we lived across the border from each other, it would be different. You know, it's, it's not (laughs) a, an anti-Canadian sentiment. It's a, she lives on the other side of Canada sentiment, (laughs) but I felt like the fact that our first in-person meeting took place at a cheese store was probably a good sign as well. And I thought that she'd be a really good choice to add a different perspective to the podcast, but also somebody that I, you know, really enjoy talking to. And, you know, if you're going to talk to each other enough to make a podcast, it should be with somebody you actually like. So Arlene, what did you think when I first approached you about co-hosting? Well, when you first asked me, I wanted to say no which was my my gut reaction was that is terrifying and there's no way. But as I've gotten older, I've tried to at least give myself some time to, to think over my responses and to not say yes so quickly or say no so quickly, because sometimes yeses lead me down a path I don't want to go on. And sometimes no's end up closing doors that maybe I should have left open. So I eventually, I kept thinking about it and I was really drawn to the idea of trying to connect both kind of my worlds too, you know, parenting and farming and, and connecting that, that community of people who are doing both of those things, because there aren't that many of us out there in terms of the overall population. Although I know there are lots of us who are are doing this job. So I said yes to Katie, but I didn't say it out loud to anyone else for quite a while. I didn't, didn't tell my husband or any of my, my close friends that this was something I was even talking about. Cause I figured I was only disappointing one person if I, uh, if I ended up backing out But as time has gone on and we've brainstormed about who we want to talk to and what we want to talk about, I've just been more and more excited about this opportunity to to learn more and to connect more and create a community around this. So So Arlene, does your husband know yet? Oh yeah, yeah, he knows now. I keep hiding away in different rooms trying to find time to record. So I I think he's noticed. He'll find out when we talk about him on on the internet. (laughs) Yeah, fair absolutely. enough. When he's suddenly famous and people are asking for his autograph in the grocery store. <laughs> yeah. That is, or or that telling him things that I said on episodes he hasn't listened to yet. Yeah. Well, you knew we were like this when you married us. So, <laughs> so this is our first episode, and we're going to take some time to introduce ourselves and to talk about our own farms and families. And we have been trying to, to think of a way that we can introduce each of our guests. And since this week we are the guests, I'm going to start with our first question that we're going to use for all of our guests, which is, what are you growing? So Katie, what are you growing? Okay, so my husband, Jim, and I farm with my in-laws, so his folks. Our kids are the fifth generation on our farm. And we live in far northeast Iowa, like pretty much as close to being in Minnesota or Wisconsin as you can get without actually crossing the state border. We have two children. We have the girl child who is four and a half and a boy child who is three and change. Um, We have about 300 acres of pasture, row crop land, timber, and then the balance of that is in Conservation Reserve Prairie. We have about 20 cow-calf pairs, predominantly Normandy beef animals, and 
about 35 Katahdin hair sheep ewes that are sold for me. Um, and so we do a multiple crop rotation of row crops, you know, corn, beans, small grains. We're getting more into cover crops and, you know, forage crops that can be grazed off, which has been really, really interesting to see. And with the conservation reserve, the, you know, for folks who aren't from Northeast Iowa, which is probably most of you, I know, you know, when we think of Iowa, we think uh, tabletop flat. Where we live is called the Driftless Region. It's where the edges of the glaciers stopped. And so we have big, big hills and a lot of highly erodible soil. A lot of it is really not suitable for field work. I grew up in central Iowa where it is table flat and we have the richest soil in the world. And, you know, you see a lot of farms down there that are, you know, a square mile. So farming up here has been kind of a kind of a change for me because there's a lot of a lot of fields up here that you wouldn't be able to get into with the equipment that I'm used to seeing at home. Off farm work, my husband works for an ag implement dealer. So he, you know, works with customers and then sells skid loaders and tractors and things. And I work for a software company. So I work remotely, which is fantastic, especially with farm work to be able to not have a commute. And now it's your turn, Arlene. What are you growing? My husband, Hugh, and I are farming in eastern Ontario, Canada. We are about an hour from Ottawa, which is the capital of Canada. He's the sixth generation on this piece of property, so our kids are, will be the seventh if any of them choose to continue farming. We milk about 80 Holsteins and raise all of our own replacements, so we usually have about 180 animals in the barn at any time. We own around 700 acres of land and rent about 200 more where we grow corn, soybeans, and lots of hay. So most of our own feed for all the cows and the soybeans are for sale and we are able to sell some of the corn each year as well. On our farm, like I said, we've got some kids too. So we're raising four. We have a daughter who's 15 and then three boys who are 13, 10, and six. We also are farming with my in-laws who live across the road and are still active here on the farm. My father-in-law also has a small flock of sheep. And like I think everybody else, we got a few chickens during pandemic time. We uh, reinvigorated the the chicken house that my uh, my grandfather-in-law, I suppose, used back in, in his day. So we've got a few chickens and we're lucky enough that we're both home full-time on the farm and with our kids uh, I have a bit of a side hustle that also started during pandemic life. I started sewing face masks at first just for our own use and for a, a program in our community where we were handing out masks for free. And then that's expanded into me making masks for, for sale at a local store and to other family and friends who are looking for more fashionable masks since they seem to be a permanent part of life now. I can tell you I've gotten one mask so far from Arlene. I need to order some more. But if you're looking for a mask that is both comfortable and I think super cute. Mine has uh, Schitt's Creek fabric. I get a lot of compliments on it, actually. You should uh, let Arlie know, you know, yeah, if we're going to have to keep wearing them, as we should be, they should at least be cute because, yeah, you, well you know, it's, it. it's in the middle of your face. So, you know, it's a, it's a good time to make something fashionable. So Katie, have you all been involved in agriculture or is this a career that you thought that you would be pursuing as you got older? Um, I grew up, you know, on a hobby farm in central Iowa. So I was always surrounded by agriculture, you know, living out in the country. Um, we've had chickens as far back as I can remember. One of my earliest memories is actually of watching our neighbors butcher chickens in their backyard. And I was four, maybe. And I was not grossed out by it even then, which probably says a lot about me. You know, I got my first flock of hens of my own when I was 
eight and I got 50 um, gold stars, which is a red sex link egg layer. I actually went to college for agriculture. I went to Iowa State University, but I wasn't learning anything about the kind of ag that I wanted to be doing. You know, what I was learning was very, very intensive, very management oriented, very much more aimed towards being in building management for a confinement, something of that nature, which they're, you know, they're very important jobs, but it wasn't what I wanted to do with my life. And I don't think I really ever thought about farming as a job when I was younger. I mean, it was, you know, it was something we did. It was a lifestyle thing, but it wasn't a money thing. It's still not a money thing. Let's face it. (laughs) Not a a very productive money thing. Arlene, what about you? Well, I grew up on a dairy farm. My my parents were were farming and my my dad farmed with his two brothers and, and his parents. So it was the way I I was raised, but, and I went through that phase of, you know, when I was younger, I definitely wanted to be a farmer. I wanted to be just like my dad. I was going to go to the same agricultural college that he had gone to. And then probably like a lot of kids, I went through, you know, my teenage years where there was no way I wanted anything to do with farming. I was going to go away to university. I was definitely never going to end up marrying a farmer, especially a dairy farmer, because that was too much work. And at the same time, I don't think I was trying that hard to get away from it because I ended up going to the University of Guelph, which is Ontario's main agricultural university. And while I didn't take an ag degree, I took a degree in geography. I was hanging out with the farm kids and inevitably that's where I ended up meeting my husband and agriculture is his passion. And he knew he was coming back to the farm. So that's where I ended up too. And it wasn't what I expected but I mean it's obviously a lifestyle that I, that I love and I I can appreciate now more as an adult and as a parent than I did when I was my teenage self. So we're both involved in a family business is this something that you thought was going to happen you know when you marry a farmer you're not just marrying your partner you're especially you know if they're still farming with their family you're going into business with their family and probably dealing, you know, especially on a generational farm, dealing with 150 years worth of baggage about how things are run and how the farm is laid out, everything else that goes along with that. Sure. I mean, like I said, my dad farmed with his family. And so I guess I had a bit of a perception of what that would be like. I mean, I grew up near my grandparents and aunts and uncles and cousins, and I got to see kind of on the ground what that looked like in terms of delegating and each person having their own area of expertise, that kind of thing. Now, this farm is a bit different in the sense that it's my husband and father-in-law who are essentially, you know, passed from one to the other. And in a way, I I guess I kind of knew what I was getting into and didn't because like you said, there's, there's generations worth of, of tradition that you're trying to honor and respect, but also making your own path. Now I will say we've been incredibly lucky in that my, my in-laws have been very open to change and to our ideas and, and to, to letting us the reins from very early on, we actually took over ownership within a few years after we got married and they've been really supportive of, of all of our decisions and, and the things that have gone on here. And 
also supportive in the sense that they're still working with us too. It wasn't uh, okay, here you go, good luck, you know, pass it all over and, and we're gonna retire. You know, they're they're still really active and have been hugely supportive of of our life and and they wanna they wanna help us as much as they can. Is this working and living and farming with in-laws something that you were prepared for? <laughs> Definitely not. Um probably until about the day before I met my husband. I was kind of horrified that there are people who live, you know, um, I don't know if it's as common in the rest of the world as it is here, but a lot of times the younger generation moves into the old farmhouse, I guess, and then the parents build like a, a prefab modular home and it'll be 20 yards behind behind the main house, which is very convenient, but I was always a little confused that you would willingly live that close to your in-laws or to anybody really. And now my in-laws do not live directly behind us. They're across the road. So it's, well, it's maybe 200 yards, you know, <laughs> really got some, got some distance. Different. I was very lucky that my in-laws have been very open and accepting. A lot of the farm programs we're involved in have been pushing really heavily on planning your farm transition and crazy things like talking about it before it happens and working out ways to make it equitable, especially if there's more than one kid in the family. You know, we know a lot of farmers whose families are just being destroyed by the transition from one generation to the next. And generally, it seems like it starts out with parents with good intentions, you know, that they want to help all their kids and they want it to be fair and equal, which is about impossible to do. And one thing that's been nice on our farm is that our farm has never been inherited. It's been sold every generation from one generation to the next, which has issues certainly with, you know, cash flow in that. But it also means that there's no question of who's getting it or like we're seeing a lot here where farms are getting divided up. And, that, you know, if you get two generations out, I know folks whose family farms are now split 45 ways. And even a thousand acres doesn't go very far when you're splitting it that many ways. And certainly on a smaller farm, there's no way to buy anybody out and it becomes a huge mess. As far as the business aspect of it, I come from a family with a lot of small business owners and a lot of entrepreneurs. So being self-employed, being more self-directed is a pretty normal thing in my family. But certainly, no, I was would not have said that this was my life plan. But I knew I was going to marry my husband on our first date. And I knew that he came with the farm. And that was just kind of non-negotiable. So here we are. <laughs> and I'm, I'm glad of it. That sounds terrible that I'm like and saddled with, with this. It's just life how it often is. doesn't go in the way that we're thinking will. No, it does not. So Erlene, I had added some lighter questions in here now that we've really like started to dig into the, the heavy stuff of family businesses and marriage and partnership. What is one useless skill you wish you had? So I've been thinking about this one. The one that I thought of first, which is not entirely useless, is being able to open the fridge and create a meal out of all the bits of leftovers that seem to accumulate in there and create, you know, a meal for a family of six when my fridge seems to be full and yet there doesn't seem to be anything that I could actually feed people. But another one I thought of the other day when I was out milking was being able to understand what 
animals are thinking. Now, I don't necessarily want to know what my cat is thinking all the time because she often seems pretty angry at me. But but to be able to anticipate or know what that animal is thinking when it's about to, you know, slap you in the face with its shitty tail or something like that. So that those are my, uh, one of the couple of the thoughts that I came up with. Do you have a useless skill that you wish you had? I really like that one, actually. I mean, no, I don't want to know what my cat's thinking because it's probably just, I hope she dies soon so that I can eat her eyeballs out. But with cows, it would be really nice to get a little more of a heads up you know with that one that's always going to kick the milkers off you know it'd be nice to be able to get a little feeling for that one one useless skill I really wish I had this is a a childhood dream I was that (laughs) I was that kid listen to a lot of Roy Rogers listen to a lot of writers in the sky still want to learn to yodel I don't know why I mean like it's uh I don't know just a thing I don't know why I find it so fascinating (laughs) But I do. So Arlene, if you won the lottery tonight, what would the first change be on your farm? Well, I think like a lot of farmers, we have you know, a significant amount of debt. So, I mean, our first phone call would be to the banker and see how much we could uh, clear out and if we could uh, make some make a dent in some of our loans. But in the more physical sense, we have, I mean, like you, we've got cold, snowy winters. I imagine you probably have where you live. And there's a certain amount of equipment that there just isn't space in the sheds and barns that we currently have. So it'd be nice to put up maybe even a beyond what we need now storage facility so that everything could be undercover and we don't have to do that uh, puzzle piece move of trying to fit every every single piece in. And I'm sure that my husband would probably have a list of some new equipment that he'd like to uh, to put in that shed once we build it. Do you have some lottery dreams that you've been thinking about? Well, I just really want to know if you put up a shed that was too big, do you think you'd get to a month before it was over full and you needed more space again? Or like, how well, long do you think this would take? Maybe like one season, you know, like you get through one series of, of planting and harvest. And if you still had some of that lottery money left that, you know, like the new equipment would start to, to sneak in and it would get bigger, right. Than what you've got. And so, yeah, maybe, maybe a year on the, on the optimistic side. If we hit the Powerball, I, I definitely think being able to pay off the operating loan in cash, being able to pay off the co-op in cash, and I mean like small bills, not even a check or anything, like $1 bills to really get the, <laughs> the sense of things. Yeah. I, I want to preface this by saying that the waters I'm discussing here are not single cups. They're the, you know, the outside ones that are plumbed down through the ground. And so when they freeze, it's ripping the entire thing apart and pouring boiling water in there and hoping for the best. I definitely think new waters that are at least more freeze-proof than the ones we have, and fence. I was actually late to record today because I was helping put cows back in. I don't know how they got out, but they were happily tromping around in the uh, in the cornfield, and I actually just got a text from my mother-in-law that the cows had the taste of corn now, which Arlene and I were laughing about that it sounds like they've, you know, scented blood in the water like sharks. So Arlene, what county fair contest, real or made up, could you dominate? Well, my husband has said lately that he thinks a lot of our local fairs are, are closed again this year because of COVID restrictions, but he thinks that when the fairs start back up again, that there should be a class for face masks. So, I mean, clearly if there's a, a face mask competition, I will work on my very best one with my very best fabric and uh, hopefully is dominate this... that one. Wait though, is this like, like in the home face craft. mask creation or like well, modeling or like 
I'm guessing creation, you know, kind okay. of like the home crafts where the, the judges are coming along and checking your stitches and all of that, gotcha. stuff, that the fine details. Gotcha. They might have to put it on to try it. I don't know. I was envisioning um, sort of like a, an obstacle course, you know, for us, <laughs> for us glasses wearers that you'd have to like put on your mask, fog. wait for your glasses <laughs> to fog up and then have to try to do whatever you would right. normally so, do. Something yeah. with the dexterity. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm thinking more of the, uh, the home craft section. My, my other thought was if I could find some white clothes, I could probably, maybe not dominate, but I think I could hold my own in a dairy showmanship competition with the number of cow shows I've either watched or uh, been uh, a helper at over the last, you know, well, lifetime. My husband is a, a dairy judge and my daughter is now very into 4-H. So as long as I didn't have to compete against her, I think I'd be good. I'm sure she could give me some pointers, but I, I think I could still hold my own in a, in a showmanship competition. What about you? What are you going to dominate when you get to the fair? Well, I'm thinking, you know, we had been joking about a, a barnyard language online fair, but I wonder if we couldn't just take this to TikTok and everybody could just, you know, share a video of what their fair domination would look like. For myself, you know, with two small children who are very close in age and are both very busy. And also, you know, having a background in livestock. I mean, this is not a, a totally new skill. I feel like animal calling could probably be a real strength, you know, whether it's hogs or cattle or sheep or whatever. We actually have sort of a, a farm-specific sheep call, which we've decided, you know, maybe would be a, a Patreon bonus that I would record that. You know, I don't want to put it straight in a podcast because I feel like people should really have a volume warning on that. And normally to get the full impact of the sheep call when there are not actual sheep involved, normally it would take a beer or two before I'd be prepared to really just like. Now, is this your own invention or is this the multi-generational call that's been uh, honed over years? This is a Katie special. And oh. I find it really funny how family specific animal calling is. Um, you know, when we, when we call cows, you can tell, even if you just saw like a, a transcript of the cow calling, I don't know why <laughs> we would have a transcript of it, but you would be able to tell immediately if it was me or some member of my husband's family just by how they're called and watching the kids try to decide who they're going to emulate has been pretty funny. Yeah. But. So I'm going to bring it back around to one of our more serious questions. And I'm wondering how your farm life has changed since having kids. <laughs> how has our farm life not changed since having kids? We started trying to have a baby pretty much immediately after we got married and it was fun at first you know um that's it. but to find a point on that one pretty quickly had to start fertility treatments and after four years of fertility treatments we quit treatments and started adoption classes and had decided that you know if we weren't going to have a baby and certainly not right away that we'd go big on the farm instead and so we went from having like five cows, I want to say we contracted on like 15 more and then, you know, started holding back enough sheep to really expand our flock. We had, I want to say 15 ewes when we started and then basically like immediately after these decisions became irreversible, I got pregnant quite, quite unexpectedly and had the girl child and then when she was six months old, the doctor said, you know, it, it might take four years to have a second one if you want another one. So you should probably get cracking on that. The kids are 16 months apart. 
<laughs> so if that <laughs> if that tells you anything about how that went over, I still do a lot of management, especially of the meat business, because we still do a fair amount of direct marketing, but I don't farm anymore. It's probably a lot of our listeners have tried at least once to actually go be productive with their kids in tow. You know, um, before I had babies, I had this real image that they'd come outside every day and they'd just play quietly while I did things and everything would be just the same. And honestly, even that my body would be exactly the same and I'd be right up to the same tasks as before. And basically, absolutely nothing is the same as it was before we had kids. So this is exactly what I wanted my kids to learn growing up on the farm, but it is still a struggle with, you know, actually making the time to enjoy living on the farm, to enjoy the lifestyle and the benefits. And, you know, so it is exactly what we wanted, but at the same time, it's a lot of work and they're, uh, they're not real helpful from a productivity standpoint yet you know the the girl child can be pretty helpful if the boy child is not with us the two of them together is <laughs> sometimes it's real cute but it's pretty much never acquire a lot of control pretty quickly i will say we end up with a lot more things to laugh about so what about you arlene well before we had kids i was not farming in a even a part-time basis really i was working full-time in Ottawa. So I was commuting two hours a day, an hour there and an hour back and also working shift work. So I wasn't overnights, but I would either do a day shift or a, an evening shift, which brought me home around midnight to one in the morning. And so my involvement on the farm on paper, you know, my husband and I, like I said, had done some succession planning with my in-laws. And at that point we owned the farm, but I was only helping out on weekends or, you know, maybe around the fair or showtime, that kind of thing. And then when we had our first child, we get a year in maternity leave here in Canada. I guess I had a vision that on my mat leave that, you know, we would start to transition to, I'd be helping out more and the, the baby would come to the barn and all of those types of things that you, like you said, you, you think are going to happen. And the baby I had and the baby I thought I was going to have were a little bit different from each other. The baby I had 15 years ago was not the go along and be happy kind of baby. She was someone who cried a lot, a lot. <laughs> and then she'd sleep and then she'd wake up and she'd cry some more. So there were a lot of days where, you know, I barely got out of the house as it was to even get groceries and going to the barn seemed like an impossible task. And at that point we still had, you know, my, my father-in-law was, was much more physically able to, to milk and was, was there every day and still is still is working on the farm every day now, but has scaled back some of his, his activities. And we, we have some employees that, that work with us as well. I guess it was not so much that I was farming before and then I wasn't, but it was that my vision of, of what life was going to look like with kids and farming was different. And at that time, we also weren't living on the farm. We um, had a, a house that was down the road, not, not too far away, but enough that I couldn't just walk to the barn. So it meant, you know, getting, she was born in December, getting a baby dressed up in warm clothes and into the car seat and into the car and over to the barn. And, and all of those tasks seemed monumental. And then before I knew it, you know, our first two kids are, are just over two years apart. Then I had a toddler and a baby and that didn't make it any easier than, than just having one. It's really only been the last couple of years that I felt like I've been 
farming again. And even, even at that, it's, I would still consider my contributions to the physical aspect of farming, you know, actually milking cows is still kind of on a part-time basis, but my kids have, I've gotten older and we're at the stage now where I can, I can get up and milk in the morning and be back in the house before they even wake up. So those things are a little easier. And I feel like I'm contributing more to that part of, of our life. But like you said, you, you think you have an idea of what things are going to be like, and it doesn't really turn out that way. But we also are fortunate in the sense that I've been able to stay stay home with our kids and, and focus on raising them. And we are in a position where I didn't have to get an off-farm job. So I've been a mostly a stay-at-home parent with my kids as they've they've grown up. And then again, during online school, there I was apparently being a teacher, <laughs> which wasn't a great fit, but we got through it. You had said something interesting that, you know, traditionally farm families worked because there were lots of the parents had lots of siblings and and folks around to help with babies so that everybody could keep farming and you know and doing that work but there's this expectation that, that as the mother I should just be able to make it work to take the kids with me with whatever work I'm doing whether it's my you know my paid work or farming even housework that I should be able to just parent and 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 we make it work because we have to but there's no expectation that my husband is going to take the kids to the dealership with him while he works, you know, I mean, there's right, no. Yeah. And I mean, I and... think that over the years we have, to, we've taken into account, you know, some of the farm safety stuff that maybe Definitely. wasn't, wasn't as much of an issue or maybe wasn't talked about as much. Farms are dangerous places. We're working with big animals and big equipment, and we would never expect our electrician or our plumber or heavy equipment operator to show up here with their kid in the buddy seat. And yet, you know, there's, I mean, once in a while, sure, our, our kids have ridden on tractors or go for a ride when our, our custom operator comes with a combine. But when it comes right down to it, those those places on a full-time basis aren't safe places for kids. Mm -hmm. And we don't expect other people to, to bring their kids to work and be able to, to work efficiently and productively with their kids in tow. But yet we seem to think that, that that's just the way it should be on a farm. And I, I don't think that's realistic or safe. Yeah. And I think the other thing that has been a, a bigger issue for us is that the the guys are very used to doing things on their own schedule. And before we had kids, that didn't really matter. But now the kids eat supper at a specific time. They go to bed at, well, sometimes at a fairly specific <laughs> time. You know, a lot of nights we'll do supper and baths and jammies, and then I'll sit on the couch and we'll watch a quiet movie or something just while daddy's out doing chores because trying to get two very busy small children into bed at the same time is it is beyond me at this point in my life i'm choosing my battles and this is not one of them the guys were bailing hey just east of the house we have a field that's probably less than 100 yards from the house and a boy child is obsessed enough with tractors that the other day he told his new gymnastics coach that his name is combine and his favorite color is tractors so that's that's pretty much how he rolls so daddy and bampa were bailing hay and they'd get down to the far end of the field and the boy child would fall asleep but they would come back towards the house and he would wake up again 
and he would be jumping on the couch. And I don't mean like on the couch cushions, like standing on the back of the couch, looking out the living room window, yelling about the Baylor and about Hay and about grandpa and about daddy and getting all excited. And they'd turn around and he'd start to quiet down a little more and they'd get to the far end and he'd fall asleep. You know, it's a, it's a long field. And it was just like, we're legitimately going to have to put some limit on what end of the field they start at for this, because I cannot do this. This is, this is ridiculous. So I think we're going to wrap up here for today. And we want to thank all of you for listening to our very first episode and getting to know us a little bit better. If you are someone who listens to podcasts regularly, you know what we want you to do. You need to like, rate, and subscribe to our podcast because that helps other listeners find us and leaving us review would be helpful too. We would also be grateful if you'd tell a friend about our podcast. A personal recommendation is the best way to help us find new listeners. And we know that farmers know each other. So if you want to tell a friend about us, we would love for you to do that. Also, we'd love to hear from you, whether you have someone you'd like to hear on our show or if you are someone should be on our show. Um, if you have a product recommendation or product you really hate and want to warn other people about or a great idea you want to share, or a terrible idea that you want to share, reach out to us on social media or at barnyardlanguage at gmail.com. We would also like to see you join our private Facebook group, which you can find by searching Barnyard Language and requesting to join. This is a place where you can ask questions, give and receive support and advice, and just get to know some other people who are living a similar lifestyle. You can find us on Instagram, TikTok, Patreon, and Facebook at Barnyard Language, and on Twitter at Barnyard Pod. Be sure to check out our next episode when we catch up with Carrie Mess, better known as Dairy Carrie. Carrie is a Wisconsin dairy farmer. She has two kids, a bunch of cows, and 62,000 people following her advocacy work on Facebook. Until next time, may all of your meals be kid approved and all your gates be tightly closed. Music